Thanks, Gavin, and uh, thanks to leading us in song as well. Thanks to the introduction, Liam, and a little bit of the plug for the afternoon tea next week. Uh, come along. For all you hipsters out there, there's a grazing table and barista coffee. So, yeah, I don't think a grazing table means that you all sit around and kind of graze. It's not COVID safe, but, yeah. You'll get lots of food, get coffee and good times and chat about youth and kids uh, and the discipleship of them in our church family. So I think that'll be important. I'm going to pray for us before we uh, look at this next section in Matthew in our series, The Unexpected Kingdom. So will you pray with me? Lord and King, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us. You call us to yourself. You know us by name. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to see you clearly. Help us to trust you in our lives. Uh, Help us to come before you in repentance, seeking your mercy each day. So that we might come to know you better. So that we might understand that you are willing to carry our burdens for us. We pray you'll help us as we look to eternity to be able to tell people about you. And we pray that this morning as we look at your word that it will encourage us and, and challenge us anew as we seek to live for you in this world. Amen. Well, uh, little straw poll, English actor Rowan Atkinson, otherwise known as Mr Bean. People know who I'm talking about? Good, almost all of you, excellent. He's a funny guy, not necessarily because of what he says, but mostly because of just what he does. He moves weird, he makes funny sounds, he has very interesting mannerisms, particularly when playing the character of Mr Bean, but he's also famous for playing the character of the Stig, the uh, race car driver in the... um, in the TV show Top Gear and everyone was trying to figure out who it was and it was actually Rowan Atkinson. I thought that was pretty hilarious if you saw that. Now, Rowan Atkinson gets mistaken sometimes for who he really is and one day he was uh, hanging out in a Range Rover kind of shop, a repair shop where he says he's often there on Saturday mornings uh, and all the people that own Range Rovers are often in the shop on Saturday mornings because they break all the time. And he was there just waiting, sitting there, just chilling out, waiting for someone to fix his car. He tells the story far funny of what he was doing. But nonetheless, someone came up to him and said, you know, you, you kind of look like Rowan Atkinson. Now, this wouldn't be unfamiliar to him, right? People would do this all the time. People, I think famous people, not that I'm famous, it doesn't happen to me, but for him, people would probably look at him and kind of twist their head sideways. Is that really a point maybe if they're a little bit rude? And maybe they might do what this guy did and just walk straight up and say, are you, walk straight up and say, look at him and go, you know, you look like Rowan Atkinson. Well, today was different because today as this guy came up and said to him, you look like Rowan Atkinson, Rowan Atkinson kind of nodded and smiled. And, but the guy wanted to push it a bit further. He was like, you know, you've got like the same shape, nose, you look the same height, same colour hair. You really do look like him. He's spinning image. It's just amazing. Now, Ryan Atkinson apparently doesn't answer this very often. He just more smiles and nods and walks away. But at this point in time, he thought, no, I need to just correct this guy. So he said, well, I actually am the actor, Rowan Atkinson. And the man looked at him and was like, ah, yeah, that's pretty funny. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. 
that's funny, just like the actor, in fact, that's really funny. And they kind of nodded and smiled for a few seconds, the customer guy kind of nodding and thinking he's right, and Ron Atkinson kind of nodding like, I wish this guy would go away. Nonetheless, Rowan Atkinson turns to him and just goes, actually, no, I really am Rowan Atkinson. Now, at this point, you'd think the guy would kind of laugh and maybe walk away as well, but the customer didn't. He pushed it further and ended up being quite a heated discussion as to whether Rowan Atkinson really was Rowan Atkinson. In the end, he put it, Rowan Atkinson himself, throws his hands up, and goes, well, if you won't believe who I am, I'm just going to have to walk away. Uh, and so he walked away to wait for his car to be fixed at the Range Rover shop. Pretty funny that this guy just wouldn't take him for his word. He didn't believe that Rowan Atkinson was who he said he was. Today, we're talking about this. We're talking about people recognising who Jesus says that he is. Jesus is the king. He's the promised king to come. He's here and he's performing miracles and he is doing Jesus-like things amongst the people of Israel, in these particular towns, um, quite a bit in fact. Yet people see him, but don't really see him. They hear him, they see him act, but they don't really believe that he is who he is. And I think it's not a case of mistaken identity at this point, unlike the story with Rowan Atkinson, but rather I think that not only do they not believe him in who he is, but rather they see him and actually refuse to believe. They reject him. They reject who Jesus is. They reject that by what he does that makes him powerful, that makes him king. They reject him because they don't want to follow him. Because they don't want to acknowledge that Jesus is king, they don't want to repent. Because they want to continue to be stubborn and rebellious and do their own thing. We got a glimpse of this last week, didn't we? We looked at John and Jesus was rebuking those who didn't believe who John was in his witness of Jesus and his mission to tell people that Jesus was coming. And this week Jesus again strongly, harshly rebukes these towns, the people of Israel, who have seen him, seen him perform many miracles, but have not believed in him, have not repented and turned back to him and listened to his call. So pick up in verse 20, I'll just read a few verses to, if you've got your Bibles there to get into it. Verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazon, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre, Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted. Will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Jesus doesn't mince his words here, does he? In his rebuke of them, in them accepting him, which they don't, he is harsh with them. But not just harsh in the moment, he's harsh when it considers matters of eternity, isn't it? Here he's speaking about the day of judgment. This is about life and death, about heaven and hell. And he even uses the examples of these other towns 
that plenty has happened and there have been horrific things and people doing terrible things in these places and he says that it's even going to be easier for them on judgment day than these three towns, Chorus and Bethsaida and Capernaum. Why? Why? Because these people have had huge opportunity. There's no reason for them to mistake Jesus' identity. They can see clearly the works that he has been doing. He's been performing many miracles in these towns and Jesus is wondering why they have not repented or he knows why. He knows why because they are just stubborn and they are rebellious and they are looking for something else or someone else rather than Jesus who is the answer right there in front of them. Now, a little bit interesting research about these three towns. They were pretty kind of wealthy-ish towns, particularly Chorazin, and they were places where the land was pretty good, the climate was nice. Everything was pretty sweet for these people, wasn't it? Now, when you start to think about the fact that things were pretty good for them, they had, they had everything they needed, yet they still rejected the one that gives them everything, you start to think to yourself, hang on, that sounds a bit familiar, don't you? If you stop and look at today, fast forward to modern times, in the Western world, we have ample opportunity to hear about Jesus. The fact that we're so connected now, the fact that we can fly all over the world, or we used to, the fact that we have technology at our disposal where you can read so much, more than ever before, about who Jesus is. If we zero into the Illawarra, it sounds familiar that these places are quite nice, that these people have everything. That's like the Illawarra, isn't it? We people work, they play, the land is fruitful, the climate is good. Why would you need to go to church? I don't have any needs at all, do I? And then when you think about church, the Illawarra has more churches than nearly any other region in New South Wales. We are quite blessed. We have ample opportunity. Yet for some reason people still don't want to go to church. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't think they have problems. The statistics on the other hand though are pretty damning, aren't they? When you look at the mental health crises across our community... When you talk to people just about how their lives are going, global pandemic or not, people are struggling, people are suffering, relationships are falling apart left, right and centre. There is plenty going on that is not good. Yet people keep searching for the answers in all the wrong places. We could look at these towns that Jesus lists here and look at Israel and continue to kind of go, oh, what were they doing? Why do they keep rejecting Jesus? Why were they so blind? But yet we would be amiss to look at ourselves and our own community and realise that we too are blind as well. And those around us that keep rejecting Jesus, the call to him, I don't know about you, but it's a burden on my heart, particularly as I talk to people and think to myself, they have everything, yet they have nothing all at the same time just like Israel. We're talking about life and death, aren't we? These are matters that are serious. The matters of eternity. And judgment day is real. It's hard to talk about, but it will definitely come. We might have all the knowledge in the world, but if we don't know Jesus and trust in him, then on that day it won't be pretty. It won't be easy. 
We need to see Jesus for who he is, believe in him, repent of our sin and come to him and listen to his call because he is calling. Now at this point, Jesus almost stops and goes into this little conversation, if you like, about how his relationship with his father works and it's all connected because it helps us to understand how our relationship with God the Father is all about how we view Jesus, about us seeing him clearly for who he is, believing in him and coming to him as he takes us to God the Father, as he shows us the way to eternity. Verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I love how here Jesus, and he, he praises him for this, he says that his Father, Lord of all, reveals himself not to the wise and learned, but to even little children. It's a slight, it's a, not a slight, I think it's a clear correction to those who think that if you've got it all, then you'll be able to have Jesus as well, won't you? You'll be able to know what it means to follow him because you're smart, because you're wise. Yet Jesus is for everybody. The kingdom of God is open to all, from all cultures, societal status, intellect, age, the lot. The kingdom of God is broad. The kingdom of God is diverse. The kingdom of God couldn't be selected from like a top-level sporting team or something like that. It's just ridiculous. The kingdom of God is about who he chooses to reveal himself to. And it's about when we know that we have seen Jesus and see him clearly because God has shown us, it's about trusting in him. Whether you're old or young, whether you're intelligent, whether you're wealthy, whether you're smart, or whether you struggle with some of those things, it's irrelevant. And this highlights all the more, doesn't it, that knowing Jesus is not so much about what we do. In fact, it's nothing about what we do. It's all about his grace and mercy to us and what he has done for us. That is the mistake that Israel makes. That is the mistake that I think we still make. We think, oh yeah, we'll get back on the horse, we'll fix our spiritual life. But to fix our spiritual life, we just need to come to the feet of Jesus and repent and acknowledge who he is, trust in him again, He's called to us to come to him even when we're weary and tired, even when we're cranky and stubborn and just acknowledge that he is king and we are not. That's why this passage is quite, this little section here, it's quite profound, isn't it? Because it just shows us the beauty of the relationship of the father and the son with one another. Yet the clincher here is that we're invited into this relationship because of God's love for us. And we're invited in 
by Jesus, who is the only one who can show us who the God the Father is and how to get to him for eternity, to be with him for eternity. It reminds me of a number of years ago, I um, went to Melbourne for a school's ministry conference in the previous work I used to do with YouthWorks. And uh, I flew down there and I flew this other guy who was kind of a strategic consultant, business kind of smart guy, right? You get the idea. And uh, we got down to Melbourne and I sort of said to him, trying to be polite, I said, oh, do you want to catch a taxi together to the conference place where we're going? And he said, no, follow me. And I was like, okay, I will do what you say. And so I followed him and we went round the back and jumped in this expensive black car and he talked to the driver very briefly and we took off on the way to the conference place. We stopped at a hotel. I said, oh, I'm actually staying in a different hotel, I think. And he goes, no, you're not. You're staying here. He walked into the hotel. He talked to some guy at the hotel who acknowledged the fact that the guy that I was with owned the hotel. And I was like, okay, now I understand what's going on. And then this kind of pattern kept going throughout the whole time we are at the conference. Everywhere we went for lunch or for dinner, he either owned the place or knew the owner of the place and we had private rooms and food and all sorts of things. It was crazy. And I remember thinking to myself, what is it with this guy? Like, oh, and what is it with all these places that I don't think I would ever even think about walking into and much less I would never get into? I'd try, but I wouldn't be able to get into try and scam my way in but it wouldn't work would it because I'm not the owner I'm not the boss I don't know the people I can't do the introductions as much as I'd like to this guy knew where to go he knew all the people he introduced me to them and I wouldn't have got there any other way it's a kind of cheap way of saying that's what it is like with Jesus and God isn't it God the Father Without knowing Jesus, we can't know the Father. And the Father says, to know me, you must know the Son. And you must believe who he says he is and trust him and listen to him and listen to his call because his call is good. Which takes us to the last little verses, which I think here Jesus clicks in a pastoral mode. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These little verses are pretty famous, I think. I'm glad God picked up on them before because that, that call is just so comforting to know that we can come to Jesus weary and burdened we can come to him and he will give us rest but there's a lot in this see for Israel they weren't restful they had a big burden they had the burden of trying to follow the law which they couldn't uphold they weren't perfect unlike Jesus they were far from it and so they were yoked to this burden that they needed freeing from And here Jesus says, come to me and I will free you. I will help you. And I think that's so comforting. When you think about our own lives, we are weary and burdened. And many of us might think we're weary and burdened, particularly in a global pandemic. But 
not to downplay what's going on in the world at the moment, but I think we, we shouldn't be distracted. I was reflecting on this during the week. I think that many people can say that a, they're tired and they're burdened and they're frustrated and lots is going on in life and every day we check the case number and we worry about what's going to happen next. But all that could be a distraction to what's actually really going on in our lives, in all the people's lives around us. All of us are weary and burdened by something else that won't go away after there's a vaccine from a pandemic. We are weary and burdened because we carry a weight of sin that only Jesus can free us from. Only Jesus can help us as we bear the load in this world where we will continue to sin, but Jesus ultimately, by a piece of wood that's far different from a yoke, by the cross where he died for us, has taken our sin, taken our punishment and given us freedom and life for eternity in him. This is why he says, come to me because I will give you rest for your souls, not just right now, but for eternity. And when I think about this idea of being yoked together, there's a few interesting things that kind of come to mind. I did a little bit of research into yokes, just so you know. The wood thing that, I'm going to butcher this, right, because I'm not a farmer, but the wood thing that goes over the two shoulders of the oxen, yeah? You get the idea. It's kind of light though. It's not meant to be heavy. It's meant to kind of sit seamlessly across the shoulders. Someone else will correct me. And uh, some interesting things occur sometimes in the farming kind of situation at hand. Sometimes the bigger, older oxen buddy up with a smaller, younger oxen to help ease their load until they get more used to being able to carry the load. Interesting. I think it's pretty interesting. I think it gives us a little glimpse into what Jesus is trying to do for us. He does far more than that though, doesn't he? If you want a different illustration, I'll give you a more of a modern day example. If you think of the football field, people when they get injured, have you seen it? I've seen it. It happens to me on a hockey field as well. A hockey player is a little bit more dainty, so we kind of don't get involved in the heavy lifting as much, do we, Dave? No. Uh, But football players, they get injured, they're lying on the ground and often some big guy is like lying on the ground and it's always the little guy that goes, oh yeah, yeah, I'll help him up off the ground and shoulder him off the field, right? And you see this little guy kind of getting crushed under the arm of the big, sweaty, dirty forward. And the little guy's just looking at the sideline going, can someone please help me out? And then some other bigger guy comes out, usually a physio or someone bigger, and goes, yeah, I got this, mate, and then just grabs the bigger guy and just carries him off a lot faster than the little guy might have. You get the idea, right? We're just looking out for the big guy to come and help us out because we're burdened all the time. We're carrying big, sweaty, dirty, heavy sin all the time. We need help. And Jesus is saying, come and I will make your burden light. My yoke is easy with me. Not saying that life will be easy, life will still be hard, sin will still be difficult, each day will still be a battle. But I tell you what, I'd rather be in that battle with Jesus linked to him than with anyone or anything else or by myself trying to go it alone and failing day after day after day. Come to him. Trust in him, hear his call Hear his rebuke as well, at the start, very much so. Don't ignore him, don't continue to be stubborn and rebellious. But hear his call to you personally. If you need to 
realign yourself with Jesus, come back to the foot of the cross, repent of your sin, get back in the plough, so to speak, get back to work for him, then get back to work for him with him, letting him carry you along, letting him help you out. There's no point in going alone. And I guess I want to echo this with church, right? There's no point in going alone. I'm so glad that there's so many of us back at church together. Keep coming. Find the others that are meant to be here. Help them to come. So they might yoke in together as well, if I could go so far with that illustration. And link in with Jesus. I'll pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you offer rest from all our burdens, particularly our sin. We pray you'll help us to get over ourselves, to see you clearly, to believe in you, to trust in you, to come back to you and realise that you are the one that gives us life and leads us to eternity. Amen.